I V M. Welcome to All Things Policy, a daily podcast supported by Pragati, a flagship media initiative of the Takshashila Institution. We're a bunch of policy nerds based in Bengaluru, and we like to bring a fresh perspective to Indian affairs and an Indian perspective to global affairs. So grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and join us for today's chat. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of All Things Policy. Today, we are joined by a very special guest, a Takshashira alum, Satya Sankaran. Satya has been working towards a sustainable vision for Bangalore, campaigning for solutions around urban governance, non-motorized transport, and public transport. He has been instrumental in cycle day and commuter rail campaigns, and currently is a champion of policy interventions like Unified Metropolitan Transport Authority and non-motorized transport policy. A warm welcome to All Things Policy, Satya. To begin with, I want to ask you a very broad question on how would you describe your mission of the modern-day urban commute? Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. It's uh, nice to talk to you. The modern-day urban commute is changing rapidly, right? What was modern a few years ago is not that anymore. the urban fabric is changing there is what uh, we are going through a growth phase there is the economy is booming there's a lot of activity happening so it's going to transform rapidly from what we knew earlier and what it is going to be and it's very important to start looking ahead and seeing what it might become right and uh, it's way more important to start planning for the future a future where there'll be more people right population of bengaluru for example is going to double and it's going to it's going to be the same in many other big cities and it's important for us to look at transportation as an integral part of development that we are undergoing so it is changing rapidly the what we got what we were used to earlier is not what it is going to be going forward and uniquely for heavily populated countries in southeast asia especially india we cannot follow certain practices of the west right which includes having a huge dependency on uh, large vehicles suvs cars and motorized vehicles plus the climate change is becoming a big impact on our cities now and we have nationally defined contributions to meet and we have to be playing a very responsible part in uh, controlling our emissions and setting a tone for how the other countries need to undo their practices as well right setting an example becomes important becoming a leader in this space becomes important and visioning it differently for us becomes a key i think that's where it is going and it's rapidly transforming as well thank you for those starting thoughts and i think it has spurred a series of thoughts in my head as well because when i try to visualize traffic today it's a chaos like you can't really move but as you say that we have to vision an ingenious way of moving around for us what does that vision look to you what does it entail is it full of and and you know on a digression i remember i think this was a tweet by an urban planner which said that suvs do not belong to cities and every day i see innovas with just one person in traffic so i want to ask you what is that ingenious version which is what you think is tailored for indian circumstances do you have kind of blueprint for it where are we in that in in sort of implementation of that plan so little traffic or transportation per se is what we call in urban park parlance derived demand right it is a consequence of how your cities have developed 
and how it is laid out in the physical form. You can have many different types of layouts. You can have the US types zoning laws, which where you travel a long distance to get to simple things. You have huge parking lots and things like that. Then there is mixed type, Asian type of zoning, where you can have mixed use, where things are walkable, things are close by, and you can have shops close to residential areas, right? So they, that seems to be more appropriate. If you look at Japan and how they are able to move huge amounts of people far more efficiently than we have, it depends on how their how their uh, land is laid out, how their buildings are laid out, how where people live and where people work, right? So there are different types of zoning and layouts that are there. There have been mistakes that are being made as well. So we need to look at urban planning itself and how we are apportioning our land and uh, how much of it we are claiming for transportation because transportation is an externality and it could be negative or positive it is supposed to be positive it is supposed to give you the ability to go between places mingle with people and transportation is just getting people from one place to another right we have to look at it in that way and how we plan our cities how we do it is very important typically our regulations in that have been weak right we follow the us model of or not necessarily, but definitely people who have land build wherever they want to, right? You just give an approval as long as your setbacks are maintained. You don't plan layouts. The planning of layouts has been entrusted to BDA, but the private developers plan their own gated communities. They block off huge segments of road spaces in between creating bigger and bigger grids where you can't access public transport, for example. So there are mistakes continually being made. And there is, of course, the quality of our development as well. Right. The transportation networks, the infrastructure that is being built for transportation, the quality of those networks and what we construe as a road, all of these are broken. We have not followed those practices, but we end up importing vehicles more. The kind of automobile development that has happened has outstripped the, our ability to plan and regulate. And in India, typically so far, at least the government has been a laggard. If you look at Europe, for example, the government leads the way. You rely on the government to show certain amount of leadership and certain amount of planning, and then you kind of follow. That trust is broken in our country because of whatever it might be. Our history of uh, development has been very weak. It comes from not having decentralized bodies, not having unified bodies which can control all these things. It's always been a lag a player in, in infrastructure development. So there's a dire need for us to consider traffic as a consequence of our uh, development and this is why we've been talking about transit oriented development now which is how do you now start looking at planning for traffic how do you reshape your cities how do you now go in and retrofit certain paradigms like walking and cycling more so that you can have better interactions right so cities if you look at even from a long time ago have been economic centers right you had villages which did you had agriculture in the fields and then you had to come to a marketplace and sell the cities by themselves were places where people could meet and transact. Now, a lot of the transaction has moved online and it is going to continue to move on, online. But that brings about a certain characteristic of the city, which is devoid of collective action, right? So a lot of these transactions are individual actions. And in the end, you end up with collective action. Typically, purchase of a car, for example, you it's an individual transaction for your own benefit you do, but there isn't enough information for you to understand what is the impact of your purchase and that is generally typically hidden and there haven't been enough of a movement to quantify that even today we are unable to quantify how much of negative externalities your car actually imposes in the city right how much of congestion and how much of pollution and how much of road traffic incidents and deaths just yesterday i heard from the transport minister there are a lot of people dying on the roads because 
of not being able to regulate those better. So there are a lot of parameters that go into building efficient transport networks. I always keep saying, look, if you don't have water, you'll buy your way out of water. If you don't have power, you'll buy your way out of power. You can't buy your way out of traffic. It's a shared commons and it is infrastructure that you need to have uh, the state step in and look at uh, regulating these things and making it. So with the state failing to be able to step in effectively, they have been stepping in, but they have been only looking at the supply side. The demand side is continually growing, right? Today, the traffic, I think, is touching one crore motor vehicles, whereas I could probably estimate maybe 20, 30 lakh cycles being sold, right? There is no reason why you won't have a simple instrument like a bicycle, which costs less than a cell phone, for example, and is far more valuable in getting you out of a mess. Of course, because it is considered an inferior good and there's an economy around automobiles and all of those things play. Plus, there are behavioral issues as well, right? Uh, in order for you to walk or cycle, you need to put in a little bit of human effort and you don't quantify that. You want more comfort, so you go towards those kind of things. So there's behavioral traits, there are social biases that are there, and there is the economic engine which drives in a certain way, which is unregulated. So these are complex set of parameters we are dealing with in order to deal with it. But in an ideal scenario, a lot of transportation needs to move towards walking and cycling and public transport. And the pecking order the pyramid of the pecking order needs to be that when you step out of the door, you make choices. So there's a, this is the choice poverty shouldn't be there. You should have choices that you can use and you are able to use without fear or safety or whatever it is. We need to enable those choice parameters. Just leave that. You don't have to design the perfect city. There is a little bit of uh, uh, organic development that will happen. Be that as it may, for transport, I am looking at being able to provide a choice. For people, the paucity of choice shouldn't be there. You should be able to, when you step out the door, have access to being able to say, can I make this trip by walk? Can I make this trip by bicycle? Then can I switch on to maybe an EV or something like that? And then can I make it by public transport? Last choice would be, now I can't do any of this for this trip, then I have to take the car. Right? That's how we have to look at uh, the choice architecture. And shaping that is primarily the goal that we're looking at. Instead of trying to set piece your city like a same city, Try that, that anyway has to happen at a larger level. But look at where you live and how do you make this choice, and that might probably influence you to live differently and have more interactions with people, non transactional interactions, which gives you the ability to shape the city differently and the economy itself. Hey, uh, Satya, and um, thank you, thank you. Yeah, uh, just a minute, Ritul. I have an extension to what uh, Satya talked about. So, when we say Europe is probably an example that you know we would like to take the entry barrier there also is very strong. Like if a child has to get onto the road cycling and to just ensure the safety, not just about the child, but people around, there's process where probably the local police gets involved, where the child is trained in a vicinity of where that child lives. And only if they are capable and after enough of uh, test ride cases is when they are out there. But at least, you know, the kind of challenges we see out in the road is safety is highly compromised, right? An outcome of this has also been that a lot of accidents happen even for a pedestrian who's walking there and decided to, you know, take even a footpath because that again, even on a tender shore pavement, you will see that people want to get their bike on because they want to cut through traffic. So are we highly compromised there? And, you know, though we have license and a test drive situation, isn't that working well in our favor is what I wanted to understand. 
So that's a very good question because uh, we have to look at uh, Europe for the way the government is more proactive, not for anything much else, right? I mean, there are good practices that will help us. We, for example, we've started this whole cycle training program with the Karnataka Bicycle Dealers Association and the Directorate of Auto and Trends, where we are trying to train kids and adults to ride safely through traffic and you know those kind of things. So that's coming, right? It's a five-year plan. We just signed the MOU and we're trying to get that going. On the other hand, we are also trying to see how we can get more cycles in the hands of the people because the volumes also count. Safety is about how we look at scarcity, our selfishness on that. Because again, in a collective action problem you are looking at your selfish needs of getting ahead faster and because you have a more powerful vehicle you are able to ride offshore over others right when people talk about safety today it's about wearing helmets and seat belts that is not road safety that is passenger safety and that's passenger safety only because you pay for it if you buy a motor vehicle you're not going to pay for something that saves somebody on the road you would much rather wear pay for airbags and seatbelt that saves you because you paid the money so that transaction imposes certain constraints on how people construe road safety on the other hand, these kind of problem needs to be coming in from the government saying, we see road safety differently. We want to protect the vulnerable first, right? And you are also vulnerable. When you park the car and walk across the road, you're a pedestrian. It's not like uh, you play these roles in different ways, right? You may probably take a train and then take a last mile bicycle. Then you're a cyclist. So <clears throat> considering the way safety is looked at today, in fact, I would caveat this by saying uh, Bangalore roads, are, I mean, most Indian roads are actually quite safe not as safe as we like it to be. It's not zero death. It's not that bad. There are far more accidents happening in a motor vehicle today. Every 20 seconds across the world, one person dies in a motor vehicle accident. But we do not think twice before getting into the motor vehicle. <clears throat> in fact, there are anecdotal incidents where I had an entire family passed away within a period of one year. One of the persons who survived went and bought another motor vehicle. These are, but somehow you fall down on a bicycle and you have a small fracture and next day you say, I'm not going to ride a bicycle. It's far too well. It's a feeling of safety. If you wear a helmet, even though the helmet isn't that great in protecting you against a crash, you still feel a slightly safer. There is the Peltzman effect you guys know, right? It is that when you wear a seatbelt, you feel a lot more safer, so you take more risks. So there are lots of these things that come into play. I've had people from Europe touch people who have come in and who ride around here and say, I don't feel unsafe. I feel far as safe as I am in Europe because the traffic is anyway moving slow and I'm moving faster than them most times, right? But the risk appetite of people varies. If you have a lot to lose, you're going to measure it against what you have to lose. What's your opportunity cost? I have family. I don't want to die. I have too many things to do. Whereas if you take a livelihood worker, his risk appetite is different. If I'm going to stay at home thinking of safety, I'm not going to get food on the table. So the socioeconomic status also determines your risk appetite and what you're capable of doing and how much risk you're willing to take to use this more. You definitely have to provide more safe infrastructure. No getting away from that. We are way behind on providing safe infrastructure. That's because our priorities is always catering to demand. It's like this. We always try, even when you're, you eat a lot and you want to lose weight, instead of doing that, you start buying bigger pants, right? And say, okay, I'm moving from, I'm just, I just have, I'm just growing bigger, so I need bigger pants. That's not how you solve the problem, right? That's not, so that's exactly the analogy you have to look at in the city as well. You can't keep increasing supply. There is a limit. There is a finiteness to the infrastructure. You keep putting more roads and wider roads, you're going to destroy some of the commerce and housing that is there, right? It comes at the cost of something else. So the step in and required to prioritize these things is very important for us to look at. And there is also a need for more people, ultimately at the end of the day, numbers to speak. There's a need to quantify. I've been doing this in the cycle to work uh, thing where I've been using technology to quantify the number of people who are coming in and it has been fairly successful. Lots of people are coming on and saying, I'd like to clock my ride for you and show that it is useful to 
because the cyclists are not seen at the intersection you will have a big honking car sitting there you will see it but the cyclist is probably taking a different road and then going away right he's far more efficient he's faster he takes uh, side roads he's on there are not volumes of people sitting there for you to see so your apparent assumption is there are no cyclists but there are there are lots of them they, they in fact go early my data shows that they the, the cyclist peak hours are 7 to 9 whereas the car peak hours are 9 to 11 Oh, right okay, okay. Uh, the school buses are like 8 o'clock or whatever right so so th- th- they they adjust accordingly and they move around so there is a sharing that is there but again when you yes, want just uh, to yeah. an additional question that did that peak up during the pandemic given traffic pile up was low and people felt it's easier to get on to cycles it did but for recreational purpose they didn't have access to gyms they didn't have access to close gyms right so they wanted some exercise so there was more people buying bicycles to walk and do some exercise and keep themselves fit it was not necessarily commute all the offices were closed so the commute went literally down to zero but post pandemic there has been an increase of uh, cycling it has stepped out a little bit because the congestion is back so there is issue of sharing of road space right you will feel unsafe because there's a lot of people honking at you there is an irritance factor that you don't want to share you would need safe infrastructure and of course if you're an athletic young adult you can do that but if you're an older person you definitely need safety if you are a younger person if you are a kid to go to school you are not going to do that on these roads right so that is also there so safe infrastructure is a priority and all this needs to go back to saying that we need to reprioritize infrastructure and building and we there are there's a ton of opportunities to build infrastructure how many more roads are you going to keep paving right now there is a new way of looking at walking and cycling and catalyzing that in your neighborhood i run this my 15 minute city campaign where i say each one of you revert the choice architecture to what i'm what i just told you earlier and see how can you make these choices better for inside your neighbor yeah outer road is crowded but your neighborhood is not why don't you do it there yeah. first and establish a practice mm-hmm. make those atomic habits there and then maybe you will get used to that and then you will be bolder to go somewhere else so these are the kind of tactics that we need to adopt to see how we shift there is look there is going to be a crisis i was championing uh, the unified metropolitan transport authority for a long time to unify all these transport bodies until the flood hit and the crisis hit nobody even bothered but this week it is going to probably get yeah. in the cabinet and pass there is going to be a crisis where people are going to be stuck on the road for 16 hours like the china thing that's when it will hit you that we made a mistake mm-hmm. should we wait that long i don't know sure yeah thanks satya uh thank you satya those were some excellent points and uh, i want to double click on a lot of stuff that you said but before that we need to t- take a small break we will be back after a short break all right welcome back so satya i take a lot of things from what you said i'm still skeptical about the whole road safety thing if it's safe for for urban commute as yet but some excellent points on government playing catch up then being proactive and traffic as a consequence of development and positive of choice shouldn't be there i mean these are these are points that we need to think further but i sort of want to take you somewhere on urban planning where uh, i remember reading that in the early 90s austria did a study with an all women panel to understand their urban planning and they realized that majority of the people using footpath to walk comprised of women who essentially used it for shopping of immediate needs and dropping and picking up their kids from school whereas men who almost had like a monopoly on the urban design were the majority that used urban roads for driving so invariably the landscape is designed to be conducive for men with cars how do you see that in an indian context 
what is the sort of proportion of diversity at the planning level because do cyclists do urban commute walkers do public people who take public transport have a say in how our urban landscape is being planned they are to a certain extent it is changing slowly not as fast as we would there is more diversity today there are far more urban planners who are uh, women than men and i see a lot more of uh, in certain departments in certain government departments i see more women taking more roles in the planning and decision what you said is very interesting right as a culture getting a home and getting a car has been an aspirational need even today in certain government departments male dominated some of these guys have been around for donkey's years trying to be in this in the administration and ias they now come into senior position and still say no 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 our development means that we need to have more automobiles in the road that's how we show it right but i think the next generation might be slightly different unless they fall apart there is a lot more external push towards becoming sustainable and i see a lot more people trying to say that i don't have to have a car i might probably use shared transportation i might get by with public transport those movements are happening and the civil society is now also a little more active people like me and people, there are a few others who are working on the bus i'm working on the public transportation piece as well so there is walking cycling and public transport as a big need it is coming out people have heard the, there is a economy around this the contractors still want to build roads If I go to a contractor and say build a cycle track, he still doesn't know what pigmentation to use, what happens at the junctions. The project management consultants still give shorty designs to BBMB. And BBMB is too busy just uh, running around files and not necessarily paying attention to design. Right? It does get compromised. The ecosystem also needs to change from the contractor level. We need to engage more competent, qualitative, I mean, better quality contractors which who can, who can build better quality of roads. Everybody is today complaining about quality. There's a lot of compromises, right? That is where I think the problem I see uh, in all of these things is get better contractors, get better quality of roads. I think it will, the representation is coming. I would not say it is not there, but it is not good enough. The voice is not heard loudly enough. They are not included in the planning process as much. And even if they are included in the planning process, during the implementation, there are lots of constraints of the existing status quo that is preventing us from moving forward and i think the shackles need to be broken by administrators they are in their own la la land trying to think that uh, what they have been doing is good enough and incremental adjustments are good enough that is not going to happen political will is likely there now but it is still not big enough to make that change there still no allocation for cycling especially in the budget if you look at the bbmp budget you'll see some tender sure as a separate allocation but everything else is classified as a road right but flyovers will get a special allocation but you will never get a quantified special allocation for footpaths or uh, cycle tracks cycle tracks have zero allocation plans are already there but the implementing bodies don't have uh, any budgetary allocation there is no nodal person it just gets thrown into some other contract and even if it gets done like how we have some cycle tracks they are done as projects not as a systemic inclusion in what we call a road the road contract still is about make a gutter cover it with a slab and everything else is asphalt right they're trying to maximize supply for motor vehicles and that's where the planning is broken that the implementation is broken let me say thank you i want to take you now to the most exciting to what i found to be the most exciting thing that you've been working upon is the cycle to work platform it's a community driven platform that surfaces your cycle rights to work i've seen that you've added strava and uh, gamified the whole process there's monitoring of data and there's a lot of data out there where you can measure your carbon footprint the fuel amount of fuel you've saved and this is 
at broken at multiple levels so i want you to talk about that what this whole grand program is but at the same time i also want you to address the challenges of commuting to work on a bicycle what i feel particularly is that one is parking and theft which is something i've struggled with i've gotten a bicycle of mine stolen in delhi and that's sort of hindered and now considering that i've started buying expensive bikes it's very risky for me to park it at a certain place so parking and plus bicycles don't have any sort of registration number or identification or chip or anything that we can park it safe and you know it's it can be opened immediately and then it's gone and two is just weather i mean in north india 8 months out of 12 you can't ride because it's either too hot or too cold or or for that matter even bangalore right now with you know with rains almost across around the year it's very difficult to sort of use that as a mode of commute so what are your thoughts on these two things like somebody said about rain you are not made of sugar so it shouldn't be a problem of course it will be a problem when you're going into work and you're getting all wet but here's the thing about weather our car revolution is only about what 40 50 40 years old right 1980s is when we started having some marutis or and 1991 is when we started having cars i mean it is a long time now but it is not it's not like we we had cars for 100 years we still used to commute we still used to do of course the nature of work was different we were in all clustered in a city we did work in the villages we planted a lot of trees and weather so we have ways of dealing with what we have we used to use bicycles for a long time right suddenly we are used to a certain level of comfort and we are unwilling to shape our city to adjust to this this is what i'm saying you built like we we tried this whole bicycle lane on the outer ring road and we discovered when we got to marathali there's no way for pedestrians or cyclists to go across because it was built for a car you go in a car you can go anywhere left right center whatever but if you go on a bicycle it just dead ends you can't even cross the road there's a mile high divider where you are disallowed from crossing and you try to take the cycle on that whatever foot over bridge it's just not worth it you discourage people and this infrastructure is disconnected you go to a signal and the bicycle track ends and basically bbmp says fend for yourself i don't know what to do as well so you are allowed to fend for yourself imagine if we did this to a road network you just cut off the road at a junction and said i don't know what to do you go across the other side however you want you would never do that to a road it forms beautiful networks you need to form beautiful networks for this to be appealing enough for you to go to work or not but this is a catch 22 right one is to say you cannot build a bridge based on the number of people swimming across the river right there are people who can't swim who may need to get across and if you build the bridge people will go so there is a build it and they will come that is very very important you will not like for example bangalore has 14000 kilometers of roads uh, out of that maybe 2000 are called major roads right 2000 kilometers these are 15 meters or wider you may get maybe in 2 3000 kilometers of roads you may get cycle tracks segregated so that you are prevented from faster what will you do for the rest 80% in front of your house you are not going to get a cycle track does this mean you'll never cycle that road that is in front of your house belongs to everyone who move as people you can walk you can cycle you should be able to use a motor vehicle and share that road it's a shared resource it's a common it's a public good or a common good so we need to start leveraging and building it in a way that we can use it for shared mobility so there is this concept of slow streets that has been defined in the active mobility by bill by duet which calms the traffic down these are prevalent across europe and other places where narrow roads also get in so chances are that 80% of the people who want to commute are in these 80% of the roads which will never get a cycle track and even if you do 2000 kilometers at the rate at which they are building even if you do 200 kilometers a year i think they are doing 10 or 20 in a year maybe or two and a half in a year even if you do 200 kilometers per year just to cover 20% of bangalore you're going to spend 10 years right 2032 is when you'll get if they start today 
right? So if you, will you wait for 10 years to ride in the 20% of the road and call it safe? No. So you need to build your city safer for pedestrians and cyclists today. Footpath and cycle tracks are not the only visible. This, those are visible signaling for you to say on a high speed road, you will be safe. But in your local road, you should be able to go. How do you do that? So we have to imagine those streets and those localities which are narrower and share the road, calm the traffic down. Studies have proven that if you are going very slow, you're not going to be fatally hurt. So we have to start looking at these kind of interventions, design interventions, planning, and start moving towards that. So we have this whole slow stage thing that we are that is going about now. Be that as it may, right? This is not going to start from zero. There is already I talked about livelihood workers. I talked about more people who can take the risks, young adults who are willing to do their bit for climate change because that is far more pressing for them and they realize the value of that. These are the people who are going to get out, not the people who are going to be afraid. And it is for these people that I built the tech platform called Cycle to Work to say, the common question asked is, I don't see cyclists. Now I'm showing it and saying, this is where they are. This is the number. Not all of them are on board because it's a tech-driven thing. It is exclusionary in some way. People who have access to smartphones and can use Strava can do that. The livelihood worker will not be counted there. We have bicycle counters that have been installed on the outer ring road to see how many people are going. Tech parks are getting on board. So we've, what I've tried to attempt to do is to encourage the early adopters to set the game, set the board and say, I am going to lead the way in effecting change. And these are the people who you count on to set an example for others. And partially it is also who else is doing it. Every time I go to a corporate and say, I go to get on the cycle to work, they say, who else is doing it? So the leaderboard gamification is a very good incentive. People are coming to say, I want to get up on the leaderboard. In fact, I remember one of these uh, premier IT companies when I was giving out these quarterly awards for cycle to uh, deliver like 79th on the leaderboard or something like that. They came and said, hey, this is what it takes to get on board and we're going to be recognized. In three months, I'm going to get up there at the top 10 or top three, right? And they did it. In four months, they were in the top three and they are number one for since then, right? So these early adopters not only set the stage and provide the signaling required for social change, they also help us try things out. Cycle parking, like what, what you were saying, right? Now we have this whole new initiative that I'm doing called bicycle-friendly businesses. All of these businesses, they allow for motor vehicle parking and things like that. I just ask them, spare 10% of your space for cycle parking. You don't have to do anything fancy. But we'll put you up on BFB, uh, on the portal, and say you are a cycle-friendly business. And uh, we'll recognize you. More cyclists will come there because they can safely park. So we use the incentive model to say, why don't you participate in this? There's a lot to gain. And people who come to your place, the traffic will be driven, how much ever it is now, right? In the long run, you will benefit. So we aggregate parking like this and got the bicycle stores. They say, it's not just our customers. I'm going to allow other people to come and park here. Don't worry about it. I'll keep an eye on it, right? That is what is happening. So the cycle to work came out of that kind of an effort. It is a tech platform. It gamifies things. And the data is being used now. In fact, if you look at the comprehensive mobility plan for 2020, you can see that the cycle to work data is mentioned as a re as a reason for, you know, government needs something in documentation. Otherwise, they'll commission a survey where you stand on the roadside and count the number of cyclists. And that's not going to work because cyclists go all over. You're not going to get them on the main road where you're standing and counting. You're going to get cars. 
so this becomes data and data driven decision making is what so it has two three objectives one is data driven decision making where the government officials they actually have a login in fact we are doing this with silvasa smart city we are going to go into three four other cities which have evinced interest all the smart cities are trying to use this silvasa in fact in three months they have onboarded close to 3000 people in all the industrial parks and now i'm building an industrial park view to compete between industrial parks right so you could have tech parks here competing against each other to get more esg credits and all of these are esg credits at the end of the day at least the e part of it not the sng so the environmental credits can be costed you can make your dashboard in fact some of the companies told me look for us to bid for contracts now in europe and us i'm having to show my esg credentials i have to it's compliance now right so just take these numbers uh, put them on so there are lots of small initiatives that are going to aggregate over time there are bits and pieces so i have the board in front of me and trying to cobble this together and see which players do what how do we bring this all together and now uh, we spoke to the metro uh, the last time we launched that pedal port he, he said 10 stations i'll give you bicycle parking bmtc has already offered in all their ttmcs bicycle parking now i'm scouting for bicycle parking the double stack touch style parking vendors i'm bringing out a par- parking magazine exclusive issue to showcase what is the future of bicycle parking how can it be safe what are the best practices around uh, when that gets issued we'll go out there and say bicycle parking is a big business it should become your product line at some point in time get in it and start managing like how central parking services manages car parking start managing bicycle parking in large undertakings get the volumes out and tod is coming up transit oriented development across uh, metros and bus stands we have between commuter rail and bus stations with the large ones and the metro we have close to 100 big nodes of transit and these are sizable right if you take a 15 minute radius around each of them or even a 5 2 kilometer 5 kilometer radius you can transform a lot of commute into last mile commutes it just you just need to provide parking you need to be able to go to that metro station or ttmc park it safely come back after 8 hours of work and still find it there right we still need to solve that problem yes satya i'm curious about you know more in terms of heading the people function and the corporate affairs what i'm looking at is if you're saying corporates are signing up for this and i've seen your leaderboard and the tech intervention you have so is it tied to incentives that actually pushes the employees to do it or because you know like you said an individual feels good to get on to the podium and say hey i clock so many hours of cycling or my team is top on that board so is that favoring more and that's why it's working because say a school or another organization which is not part of this game will you see a lesser turn up if so so there is no individual ranking in this thing right so only a collective ranking mm-hmm. so i since it's a collective action problem we try to solve i only rank collectively so individuals never get to see of course they themselves get to see what they do if they sign up but they won't show up on any leaderboard individually yes the companies have now started looking at these and providing incentives the first incentives that is easy for them to do is provision parking provision showers and things like that right companies coming on board the companies are not directly coming on board right they are basically afraid right now right the hr might say or the admin might say why should i do that what if something happens and things like that. so i directly go to the cyclist and say hey it doesn't matter if you're an employee of the company if you want to cycle you can do that and you can clock and put your employer on after seeing that uh, a lot of the big companies now really want to come up and do things right some of the big guys have already provided very good cycle parking facilities showers and all those things the financial incentives is the next big thing we need to tackle which nobody has yet gotten into because your car now has tax breaks depreciation and a lot of that attached to it is financial modeling attached to your car there are loans there are all those things the 
asset value of a bicycle is so low that people don't think of it but the savings that they give you in terms of parking space per square feet that they avoid for you that is a cost you can save on you can probably put more seats on the table instead of providing for those right those are there the carbon emissions and your uh, carbon credits that you can claim out of this right. the healthy individuals that you're putting these are things that corporates are now realizing i'm also talking to them as to say when you can go out and sign off your company cab right at the end of the evening to go home where do you sign off a bicycle and keep a ready set of bicycles ready as a part of this uh, so you can people can take it and that probably makes them find housing more nearby rather than trying to find it far away right if you can go to a cyclable distance you might probably if you they usually find it within walking distance or struggle with auto rickshaws and buses and go beyond 5 6 kilometers so there's a gap between 1 and 5 kilometers where there might be a lot of pgs for new employees who are coming into the city who might yeah. probably take the cycle and say i'll live here i can cycle here so those are kind of things that are happening the question about those who are not on cycle to work right now it's not that they are not doing we have programs which are running with schools as well we are providing champions it's just that i don't want to bring a smartphone into everybody uh, everybody so i don't want kids to be using a smartphone to track their rights or anything like that some of them are still under parental guidance so we might probably do it a little differently we have this uh, green institutions program that we are trying to kick off i'm running out of time to do everything <laughs> there's just too many things to do but we have a green institution program where we are identifying leaders uh, inside Uh, schools where they can you know uh, get a school train going and things like that it's it's see schools will automatically adopt in sanjeevnagar we did a cycle and walk to school program we had an increase in one year of 23% increase in cycling 32% increase in walking right mm. kids will adopt it falls off when you get into the workforce when you get past your college and you hit the streets your aspirations when you earn money becomes very consumerist in nature between 22 25 and 35 40 till your health hits you hard you have dropped off the bandwagon and then you scramble back and say my health is not good now i suddenly realize climate change all of those things come the value of savings right i just found out that the average uh, ridership on cycle to work uh, a person i just did an average right you can do that yourself on the calculation approximately 190 rupees 95 rupees or something they save per day on uh, a trip back and forth right if you put that in a 10 year sip you're going to earn 10 lakhs at the end of 10 years right and that's going to compound you on cycle that 10 lakhs is what you earn just by cycling to work where you stayed yeah. on an average you might save more your mileage may vary but the value of that is not quantified anywhere that you actually have a bank of 10 lakhs sitting at the end of 10 years for you just because you cycled money freely available to you if you took that money in that 190 and put it into something else on a weekly basis so this ability to think is coming in the newer generation they're saying value for money is now there i'm not interested in fancy so what's the attitude change it's going to come either that or you will have a 16 hour traffic jam in bangalore and everybody is going to say it is not going to work whichever comes first yeah but one uh, in uh, last interesting question from my side is a lot of people who might talk to about bangalore bicycle mayor and i tell them that you're one of the first to be in that role i think most people don't know something like this exists and i just want to understand if it was happenstance or it was something that is going to empower you to do more so if you could share a little bit about that satya yeah so that it is the position that is used to give voice to cycling okay right you would never have heard about cycling or whatever it is it doesn't appear in the newspapers the people 
who are in the corridors of power will talk about everything else but, but cycling walking public transport these are not things that are generally heard of course public transport at least has a large capex in state government so they might be a little more interested in that but uh, personal choices like cycling and walking are inconvenient so it doesn't come out so, so i've been working on this since 2012 or 2013 when we launched the whole 2012 when the tender show was being done even before that we had uh, planned cycle tracks i remember going around residency road with a measuring tape trying to find out uh, how big a cycle track we need to have so mm. 20 11 20 12 types and then the i was on the nft task force trying to bring about this cycle day event which is one of the longest running open street event in the country more than 500 cycle days have happened this created an open street movement somewhere in 2018 is when uh, i heard about this a few of my colleagues encouraged me to just you doing so much already why don't you become the bicycle mayor of bangalore that happened what it did was uh, allowed me to bring cycling to the fore the fact that you heard about this is because of all these things so more people have heard about it and now it is coming back there's a lot of policy action that is happening there's a lot of public activation that is happening so it does bring everything together necessarily only because of the title you also have to contribute something to it but it's because of the work that has been happening with a lot of people who have been before me and after me empowering them and making them a part of the whole game and making this because it is the future you may say it is hard it is this it is that but you'll be you'll be track kicking and screaming into this world where you're going to be walking and cycling in your neighborhood it is coming you could be a willing part of this or at some point in time you're going to be penalized so much for causing so much problems with your motor vehicle that you'll just say i'm going to do this anyway so this is happening and uh, yeah things came together and we are where we are trying to make things happen a lot of good things are happening now the bike uh, active mobility bill is there we need to make that uh, life and a lot of these small actions that i talked about are coming together Uh, it is boiling and we need to just move it faster speed is of the essence thank you so much uh, satya this was a fantastic conversation before like parting thoughts i want to come on uh, ask you one very small thing that i don't think cyclists also come under any sort of regulation as yet it is only for the motor vehicle act right i do not think they should as well why would you penalize someone who is doing a good thing for your city right yeah so we can jump signals right no 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 you don't jump signal is a you will get hit by somebody coming from the other side so you don't jump signal what you do is you can take the pedestrian crossing and go across this so carry your bike and just move across you can try it but you ride next to the pedestrians or the pedestrians that's not called oh yeah you always have to wait for a face because signals have a meaning when it is red for yeah. you that means somebody else it's green for you don't want to go and fall in his yeah. way so shouldn't be jumping signal so those kind of rules are if you're riding on the road the standard motor vehicle rule will apply okay but you can also use it so these are the things that are being codified in the bill saying that you have more flexibility you don't need to be penalized for doing a good thing uh, you're getting so many subsidies for the car in uh, in terms of fuel what bill reductions and you know so many subsidies you get in many different ways uh, you don't even know the true cost of car ownership and yet i, I think this is also one of the things that will come around is that you just behave responsibly on the road that's enough yeah don't go and yeah. put yourself and i think cyclists are more or less uh, they are better behaved than any motor any vehicleist out out there and carry it everywhere but we are in the part of this 3c program that i'm doing the bicycle training we are introducing a certification where we are having a theory test so we are not letting anybody off the hook we are introducing responsible behavior uh, for cyclists as well so nobody comes and blames people that oh these people are off the hook no they are not they are being taught they are, they have to go through the course material you could sign up for that they go through the course material and understand these things in fact there was a study recently uh, just this last thing is uh, by the Northern Road Foundation I think they did this the last 10 years the awareness of motor vehicle rules are drastically absent in the people who took the tests something happened 
the older people who are riding motor vehicles understand the roads better than whatever happened in the last 10 years i don't know what happened in the last decade or the last 5 6 years that a lot of young people the delivery workers who are there have been possibly i don't know just paying their way through the licenses maybe they don't even understand basic signals and routines so we have a larger effort in going back and saying there is far more encroachment of cycle lanes and pedestrian footpaths by motor vehicles they need to be disciplined first if you can't apply it there i think the last thing you want to do is go and tell a walker how he does uh, how he walks across yeah yeah is at the one clarification okay. are there bike rack legal issues for cars having them is that restriction for one legally their bike racks are not identified by name in the motor vehicles act any attachments on a motor vehicle is not allowed unless prior permission but what i've heard from the police is as long as there is no lateral overhang which is too much yeah. back overhang is in the top because they know that if they crack down on the rear overhang also a lot of the motor vehicles which are carrying steel rods and everything they're going to have to keep fining and taking off right. so it is a convenience based thing that they allow only motor vehicles to violate certain things but the clarification is the lateral overhang you know the side overhang should not be much mm-hmm. uh, but it's a step that uh, i have seen zero deaths or incidents because of bicycle racks zero yeah surely one but there have been so many people impelled on uh, bicycle uh, i mean rods coming out sticking out of uh, motor vehicles yeah so evidence need to be involved how dangerous is this thing and why are you cracking down that is more important you could say preventive but show me where it has been of an incident why haven't you prevented rods on yeah protecting yes absolutely all right thank you so much satyan and samya okay i thought i would like to thank you hey thanks satyan if you liked our show don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on the ivm network you can tune into them on the ivm podcast app ivmpodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts you can also follow ivm on social media The handle is at IVM Podcasts on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. And hey, if you'd like to dive into Takshashila's research on technology, strategy and economic affairs, check us out at our Twitter handle at takshashilainst or our website takshashila.org.in.